everybody welcome back another year of in the zone here episode 203 i'm john carlo lino joined here with chris bartelli and we got to start this off with uh big raptors rumors because this seems tanking hard right now it started off the year like the raptors look good everything looked promising but now it looks like og ananobi's probably out the door fred van vliet's probably out the door Chris, what do you think of uh, just the Raptors season at, up to this point? And could OG Ananobi uh, fetch a big return for the Raptors? Yeah, I think any of them can fetch a big return, Alino. I think OG's the type of guy where when Siakam and Freddie are out, he really shines as that offensive player. But when everybody's in the lineup, there's only one ball. So. I think OG is starting to kind of get frustrated with his role. He's only averaging about 14.5 when they're healthy, which to me is an insult to a guy that can easily get 20, at least 20. He's been in the league now for, I think this is his sixth or seventh year. They got to start giving the guy a little more offensive production. I know Siakam is a triple-double threat every time out. I think, you know, you look at, what Fred Van Fleet at times has been able to do, he can drop 40. He has the Raptors record for points in a game. Gary Trent to me is another guy where he either hampers the team or he really bolsters the team. So it, it just hasn't worked out this year so far, Alino. I think too many guys want to take 20-plus shots. Scotty Barnes is another guy where I think it's a little, it's a little concerning because it's hampering his development to become an offensive contributor. If he's not going to put up, if he's going to average 10 shots a game, that's not going to really bolster well with his confidence. We saw it in the past. I'm not going to say Scotty Barnes is the next Ben Simmons, but Ben Simmons was a guy where in his rookie days, he would not shoot the ball because he didn't really have the opportunity to. So now all of a sudden he doesn't want to shoot because he was never, he never adjusted to that. So hopefully Scotty, understands that he has everything in his basket to, to get to 21 day but with this Raptor team Alino you said it best I don't I maybe not tank maybe not tanking but just been a flat-out disappointment from the start I know we ended the year last year with a terrible blowout elimination to the Sixers I thought that would kind of motivate us a little more but just hasn't really done the job like Precious was hurt Boucher hasn't been the same Thaddeus Young, we all know he's a little bit older, but his production has also dipped. I, you know, I actually thought Coloco would be a little better than what he's been doing too. So, just been a, a very disappointing uh, season so far. I just hope that they don't bite the bullet by trading one of these guys in a panic move. But I think you said it perfectly. I think if there's one guy that really has to go for his career and to better his play, I think it has to be OG Ananobi. Yeah, and just I think they can be in a position there where you're looking around the league and all these contenders are going to look at someone to add their roster. You look at OG's contract, you look at what he produces on the Raptors defensively. What team should like do the most to get OG on the roster? If I may be a team like the Grizzlies that can really add that additional, because I think their small forward right now is Dylan Brooks. And if you can really maybe move Dylan Brooks to the bench and you have OG start, that's one of the scariest lineups in the whole league. Like you have Desmond Bain and John Moran that would be straight up scoring. OG could be a guy where he could drop 17 points, make a lot of space for Ja, 
And then, of course, you have Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams. If Memphis really wants to make that run, Alino, I would call for OG. Another team to me that has steadily improved year after year it is it's funny to say this is Indiana. I think if Indiana really wants to bolster their chances of making a playoff run, bolster Halliburton's superstar ability, you get a guy like OG Ananobi. Yeah, maybe you're gonna have to sacrifice Miles Turner if you're Indiana. But I think that might be like that the it's like a Cinderella trade for both teams. We need a center. Miles Turner's a guy that can definitely help the Raptors and OG Ananobi, make no mistake about it. When you look at defensive rating, Alino with the with the Pacers, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. You add OG Ananobi mixing in that two-way ability with Halliburton and Buddy Heald, that's pretty scary. Another team I think would be probably one of the best fits is Dallas. You have Doncic running yeah. everything, and OG can shoot the three once in a while, but he can be another scorer for that team. Like, they rely on other guys there, like Finney Smith and Bullock. If they're going cold from three, chances are they're not going to do much else on the offensive end. So if you can get OG to do that, I think that can uh, really turn their season into making them one of the contenders, even with Doncic there. So I would say Dallas and, and a panic move. I would say a team that like really pops up. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston starts kicking tires on them. I don't know how much they can offer, but if they can use them as like a rental and then trade them at the draft, I think Boston is a sneaky team here that could make a deal. I would have said a team also like Denver, but they have Michael Porter Jr. And I think he's bound to break out eventually and get like 22 points a game. And I think he could be a better offensive player than OG. But yeah, I do like the Dallas fit. I think right now their their small forward is between Bullock and Hardaway Jr., and Hardaway Jr. is a guy, Alino, where puts up similar numbers to OG right now and doesn't have that two-way ability like OG. So the only problem with me, if I, as we are Raptor fans, is I really have no idea who Dallas would trade because we all know they don't have the most attractable players on their team to trade for a guy like OG. Maybe it would have to be a rental for a year like a Christian Wood, which I think based on the way he's been playing recently for Dallas, I don't even know if they'd trade him. So I, I like that OG to Dallas because, again, I'm a huge Luka Doncic fan. How can you not be? But I, I, I'm really rooting for OG regardless of whatever system he goes to because he does deserve way better than averaging like nine shots a game and averaging 13 points a game. And Fred Van Vliet's another one here that's going to get some interest. I think the Western Conference would be where teams would probably take a chance on him. I think the Clippers have enough there if they want to put him on their roster. Yeah, I was going to say the Clippers or uh, call me crazy. I, I do think the Lakers have a shot at getting Van Fleet too. I think when you look at teams that need a point guard, definitely the Clippers. I love my I love John Wall and Reggie Jackson, but they just – you know, they, they can't play those minutes anymore. And we saw Reggie last year have basically career numbers. But, hey, Paul George and Kawhi basically did not play all year. So Norman Powell's a guy where I would love to see Powell and Van Fleet reunite again. I think that would be a treat to watch. And then, of course, you had Kawhi Leonard. They want to be the Raptors of 2019. Hey, that could potentially work. But imagine a guy, Alino, like a Fred Van Fleet, 
partnered up with a Westbrook and a LeBron James. I just think that would make Fred Van Fleet that much more motivated and that much more scary. So we know that Fred Van Fleet can bring the scoring, maybe not as consistent as we think, but if Fred Van Fleet can start shooting the rock like he used to on this Laker team with a healthy AD coming back, Lakers are coming up, man. Do you think Westbrook, if he was included the other way, because they've wanted to get rid of him since they pretty much got him in that deal like a month in. They're like, yeah, you know what? This is not working. Then nobody wanted him. Do you think he can turn his career around on the Raptors? Oh, I don't know, man. Like The thing that with the Raptor fans in Toronto in general is you get a guy like Russell Westbrook and you look at his contract – People will be chewing him up every game. If he has one bad game here, it's going to be a nightmare scenario for him. But, A, you never count Russell Westbrook out. Since he's gone to the bench, he's favored to be the sixth man of the year. He had a board, he almost had a triple-double last night. You can never count Russell Westbrook out for his his uh, rebounding and assists. He just He's just out there just mucking away. He's always in the play. If you can have a guy like Russell Westbrook with a Scotty Barnes, that's just freakish athleticism. And Alito, we know how much Masai Jury loves the freakish athletes here in Toronto. I like it. One, I think those two players are ones to look at. Like, I know some people have been saying like Scotty Barnes and Siakam if the right deal comes, but I don't think that's a kind of deal at the trade deadline. You're going to be having teams calling for Scotty Barnes and willing to give their superstar players. So that one, I think we'll have to wait for the summer, like a Siakam, but I think those guys are probably most likely to stay with them until July Siakam, at least until they want to plan out what their next move is, how much they're willing to tank if they want to do like a three-year thing. But uh, is there another team that you look at that desperately needs a trade? Or do you think all the contenders right now have a decent enough roster to, uh, just look around and make minor moves. Uh, if there's one team I think that is a little bit desperate to make a move, I'm, I'm going now to the Western Conference. I think it has to be Portland. They're almost there, Alino. This was a team a year ago where we were laughing at the returns they were getting in their trades. They got they got Grant in free agency, who like he looks amazing. Simons is good. Dame Lillard is good. Nurkic is a guy that's hot and cold, but I'll, you know, if they get one more guy, they're a playoff team for sure. And we all know what playoff Dame can do. So again, it's very, it's and another team. I will say as well, I'll, you know, a team that's been a joke for the last 10 years. And now they're slowly getting there is Sacramento. If they make another move, they're potentially in the playoffs. So, you know, you got De'Aaron Fox, got a bonus who are both, potential all-stars this year and see what you want about a guy like a Keegan Murray he went fourth overall he hasn't had the greatest start to his career he's going to be like an Al Horford for that team he's going to average about 14 points a game he's going to chuck up eight to ten threes and make four of them at key times so Alino if I'm Sacramento and Portland I think those are the two teams I know right now I don't think Sacramento's in a playoff spot or Portland maybe they're just outside but if you're going to be going and battling against a team for a bubble like the Lakers, you got to make another trade. Yeah, I like the Portland pick. Uh, Golden State, I think they're going to have to rely on those veteran minimums. Like once the trade deadline passes and then the waivers come in, where guys like 
got a buyout on their contract, which I wish the NHL did, but NBA does that with some of those players. They uh, let them go and they sign their remaining like 20 like games of the year. I think Golden State's going to be active there, but I think the Pelicans need to go all in here. I think they have a good opportunity, and if the right trade comes along, I think they could be in a position where they can sacrifice some first-round picks and add to this team. You have JV, McCollum, Zion, Ingram. I think this is the year. If they're going to go all in, I think they can actually make a run and maybe get to the finals. I wouldn't be uh, opposed to New Orleans uh, making a deep run here. I was going to say, we've heard a lot about D'Lo wanting to be traded. Does D'Lo make that Pelicans team that much scarier? Because you put D'Lo maybe at the one because he's I think he's a better playmaker than McCollum. You put Russell at the one with like McCollum, Ingram, Zion, JV to start. Is that a team good enough, Alino, to win a chip? Or you think you need a bigger name than Russell? Because I look at their depth chart. The only thing they really need, Alino, is a point guard. That's really all they need. Yeah, I think they thought they had that with uh, that trade they made with Charlotte. I think they were, yeah, I think with him, they thought that. They were going to get what Rozier ended up being. I think they decided to keep Rozier in Charlotte, and it ended up working for them. I think he's that type of guy that if New Orleans had Rozier instead of Graham, I think they would be in a better position. But Graham, he has been hot and cold. Like He's had those games where he can put up a big uh, stat line, get a lot of assists, get a lot of points. But I think with like McCollum there, it's hard because he's a guy that catches and shoots. Once in a while, he'll make a like great play, but I think he's really a shooting guard. I don't really like him in a point guard spot. So if they get Russell, I think it would make sense. And uh, even now, like you look at the team, like Zion and JV, what they're able to do, and then you have Ingram mid range. They're That's scary good. as it is. So I like that. But you're gonna have to find it. Like Minnesota's trying to make a run too, and. They're not going to give up Russell just for like Graham and a draft pick. If they're going to give up Russell, it's just to get another score, maybe a shooting guard or a small forward. So I think that might be a little tough to make. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly with Minnesota. Minnesota's a team where I thought they would be maybe top, maybe not top five in the West, but a playoff team for sure, adding Rudy. But the fit just hasn't been there. Towns has been out for a, quite a while now. And we just saw last night Anthony Edwards got hurt. So. It's not looking good for Minnesota. D'Lo apparently unfollowed the Timberwolves on, on Instagram, too. It's just, I don't know what's going on with Minnesota. I feel really bad for Towns because this is a guy, year after year, the amount of hardships he's had to go through since the pandemic. We all know what happened in his personal life. And, you know, losing a parent is not easy. And then he came back and dropped 60 points in a game. And Towns, to me, Alino, is one of the more underrated centers, I think, of all time. When you look at the numbers he's put up since coming into the league, he's right up there, maybe not with Joel Embiid, but just a tier under him. So it sucks to see what, like, Minnesota, like, they just cannot get that winning culture. Even Jimmy Butler sniffed it. He knew that something was wrong there, and he's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I got to get out of Minnesota, go to Miami. And we, we saw what happened. As soon as Jimmy goes to Miami, they go to the finals. So, I don't know, Alina, what do you think? Uh, let's quickly talk about Minnesota. What do you think their problem is overall? Because Minnesota and Sacramento, to me, are one of the only two 
NBA teams that have just been terrible forever. Yeah, like Minnesota, I kind of feel bad because it's not like they're not trying. Like you look at the trades they've made, like the Kevin Love deal. They got all these first overall picks on their team. Like they had Wiggins, Bennett, uh, Butler, Levine, and then uh, just all of these guys together. They're young. It didn't work out. They had Jimmy Butler in the mix too. Didn't work out. Then they go and make this other big trade to get Rudy Gobert and maybe move Towns up as a power forward, more of a natural fit for him. He could score and Bennett comes in and everything's looking amazing. But I don't know. Like this is a team where they should be a lot better than what they are. And uh, I just don't know what they can do other than find out how they want to play and get players that all play the same way. Cause it looks like they're just plotting a whole it's like, oh, we need a center. Let's get the biggest name available. And it doesn't really fit the way they want to play. Let's get a shooting guard. Doesn't really fit the way they want to play. So I think they're just in a situation where they got to find out their style and get the best players that play that and not just go after what name is out there. Now, you know, I want to end NBA talk with there's one guy out there. He's one of my all-time favorites. He's not signed right now. And he's very good at basketball. The deadline's coming up, Alino. Do you think a guy like a Carmelo Anthony would bolster any team's lineup at this point? And if so, who do you think the best fit is? Because I think a match made in heaven would be a return to Denver. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I think Denver's a best spot, end of the year type of thing. It's not like he's going to go there on a five-year commitment. Joining that roster, you have like just the way they play too, I think it would benefit him, open up space. You have Jokic there, so makes things easy. Jamal Murray, once he starts getting a little bit more consistent with the amount of games he's playing, he's still getting back up to speed there. But Murray, Carmelo Anthony, uh, you got Aaron Gordon in the paint, and then Jokic just leading everything. I think that's a perfect fit. I know the Knicks would probably be a nice story, but I don't know where his fit would be there. Uh, the Lakers, I would hang up the phone if I was him. Yeah, they called no. back. Like I know DeMarcus Cousins is on the way back there probably, but <laughs> if I'm mellow, uh, I'm scary. hanging up the phone. If I see LeBron James's number with the Lakers GM in a conference call, but I like <laughs> just don't do it. The Clippers would probably be a nicer story because uh, they got more oh. guys there that can surround them. In the East, the only other team I can really think of that would maybe benefit them is like a Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. Or like boss, like somewhere he can come off the bench and score threes, like not be the guy. But if there's like the best story, I think uh, Denver would be that. Yeah, I love that. I think if that guy were to go to the Clippers and just, I could already see it, Alino, he would drop like 30 against the Lakers for sure. To me, Alino, the amount of disrespect that they gave Carmelo Anthony last year to me was absurd. The fact that, you know, you're not making the playoffs you don't know how much time you have left as a pro. And the fact that they would bench Carmelo Anthony at times. Like, like, just let this guy play. He's 36, 37. Let him just have fun out there. Apparently, he even said in an interview that he actually lost his passion for basketball because he just wasn't playing enough. He was playing about 23 minutes a night last year. So I will never forgive the Lakers for that. I think their management with Carmelo was worse than... Portland's was and Portland with Mello was actually really fun like you had Dame you had McCollum and you had Mello on that bubble team and they almost eliminated the Lakers so 
I think I, you said it perfectly. I think Denver, he goes there off the bench. You have a guy like Jokic who, to me, is the facilitator. He's the mastermind behind the whole offense. He can find anybody in a freaking – he can find a needle in a haystack. He's that good. So he can throw the ball to Carmelo. Carmelo could drop, I'll say, 2.5 on average a game for threes. He could drop about 12 points a game, call it the end of his career, because he's too good to not be playing, man. There's a lot of – I won't say there's a lot of bad players in the league, but there's a lot of guys I know that Carmelo's better than. Yeah, I agree. Especially, like, what he offers. Like, I'm surprised the team hasn't, like, made an aggressive offer to, like, bring him in. Because if you need depth on your team, what better depth player to have than a guy who's a proven all-star and a proven, like – all NBA, all-time great there and mellow. So I'm kind of surprised at that. Uh, we'll go on here to something that's a little interesting here. Uh, World Juniors with Canada back-to-back. A lot of people, though, are a little disappointed in Shane Wright because here's a guy who goes back. He gets loaned out. This is a scenario where he can just tear up the World Juniors. He's a story, but... Unfortunately for him, Connor Bedard's there, and he got shown up by a 17-year-old. So I know uh, Shane Wright was a captain and all, but if you're just Seattle, what are you thinking with him at this stage? I'm thinking I'm a little bit worried. If I, It's a similar situation. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see as Quinton Byfield with the Kings because Quinton Byfield, it's now his third year. Him and Lafreniere. I know it was a pandemic year and there are a lot of question marks in terms of development, but this is a guy now it's his second year with the Kings and he hasn't really produced elite numbers. And Shane Wright, we saw the first eight games had what one point and he played barely played his morale with the coach was already kind of looking shaky. And then all of a sudden we're expecting a big performance at the world juniors because little did we know last year, Alino McTavish, had like 18 points in seven games as the captain. So the expectations for being Team Canada's captain after McTavish having the performance he did last year, and Shane Wright was projected first all year, and then he goes fourth, and we all know the whole, you know, <laughs> we know the whole story with Montreal. But I was surprised, Alino, honestly. He had five points in seven games. We all know Connor Bedard is supposed to be the next Connor the next big Connor, but Bedard had 23 points. He broke Eric Lindros's record to have the most points by a world junior Canadian player. Alino, call me crazy. Might be the greatest world junior Canadian player of all time, Connor Bedard. So I know that that's really high praise. He hasn't played an NHL game yet, but what I've seen him do is just uncanny. But you said it perfectly. Shane Wright, the definition of his performance to me was disappointing. Yeah, he scored in the gold medal game. But to me, that still wasn't enough. He, he didn't show a lot of energy. He didn't show a lot of offensive firepower. And another guy, too, Alino, I don't know if you know too much about him, but Adam Fantilli, supposed to go second overall in this draft, didn't really do much either with Team Canada. Bedard was the lone behold superstar in this tournament. He showed everybody why he's been compared to be a mix of McDavid and Matthews linked into one player. But Dard's gonna be scary, man. And let's stop. Look at them. You remember that Slovakia goal? Just, yeah, just ridiculous, man. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, but Dard is. Uh, I know, like all the players that have played in the World Junior, but it's hard to argue when he was 16. Now back to back, 
gold medals in the second time out. He sets records. Jordan Eberle, for the longest time, I thought was the best world junior player. Ryan Ellis was also there for a long time, but Ryan Ellis. it's hard to look at Connor Bedard, what he did. And they win, and he's a guy there. He's overshadowing a lot of first-round picks, a f- like top five pick and Shane Wright. A lot of these guys on the team were in the NHL, and you look at the roster, and you're like, the only one that really proved he's at an NHL level right now is Connor Bedard. So, I, what do you look at like those other guys and say, like, aside from right, like, I know Gunther scored the game winner, he's looking good, but are you disappointed in how some of these NHL players performed in the World Junior? Yeah, I think you you know for Canada specifically, I think the 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 main guy that was disappointing for me was Shane Wright. Like this is a guy that's supposed to be your guy. I thought Stan Coven was really good. He's a uh, a prospect for the Dallas Stars. I thought he looked pretty good, Alino. Uh he was to me was one of the X factors in the tournament. I thought Dylan Gunther as the tournament went on, he kind of found his footing. At the beginning of the tournament, Dylan Gunther, Alino, was a guy where I thought he would be putting up, not Bedard's numbers, but I thought he would be doing what McTavish did last year, putting up about 15 points. He still got those two goals in the gold medal game, and he looked like a force of nature on the power play. But still, like for the whole tournament, he did not stand out. And that was the problem with all the NHL-type players. They did not stand out at all. Fantilli is a guy that, is going to get drafted, so he gets the you know he gets the benefit of the doubt. He's it's like okay, he's still developing a little bit, but you have guys like Stan Coven. You look in the back end, Brant Clark. He was phenomenal for Team Canada. He by the way, Alino, he's on the LA Kings, so he's probably going to be the next Drew Doughty of the team. His expectations are going to be high. Him and Sean Durst are going to carry that back line for the next ten plus years. But I do agree. I think Shane Wright and Dylan Gunther. With the expectations coming into this tournament, I think they must have, I don't know if it was maybe the nerves, maybe it was the Connor Bedard effect, maybe they thought, you know, Bedard would maybe just not be as dominant as he was, but you can't blame Connor Bedard for making all these other guys look bad. Bedard just went out there and played hockey, and he just dominated every step of the way, whereas Shane Wright and and Dylan Gunther, the first two, three games were just... They were ghosts. We didn't really see them. Yeah, I kind of compare. It kind of looked like Bedard was like an elite superstar player, and the NHL players were like the 35-year-old pros that joined a Stanley Cup winning team. That's what I kind of looked like. Shane Wright, after they won, and they're interviewing the guy. It's like you kind of forget that he's only 19, and it's like he's a veteran player that uh, just a journeyman in the league joins in and latches onto the superstar. I think Bedard outshined everybody that much where it's like, I, I don't know if you look at this draft class and look at anyone else that can even threaten in that first overall selection and kind of locked Bedard as a generational player in the league. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's funny, Elio, before the tournament started, I was, I, again, I'm a freaking hockey nerd. So I was uh, constantly listening to Bob McKenzie's podcast, and he said that Fantilli could potentially pass Bedard if he were to have a tremendous tournament, and look what happened. So (laughs) Fantilli had, I think, six points. Bedard had 23. We know who the number one pick is now. It's not even a question anymore. But to me, Alino, I don't know if you know him, the guy that's supposed to go third overall, he played for uh, 
Um, he played for Sweden. He looked phenomenal. I think his name is Zutterland. He looks like he could potentially be Elias Pedersen 2.0. So Pedersen to me is a guy where, yeah, you know, Vancouver has struggled the last two, three years. But if Pedersen, Alino, can, you know, get find that extra step, I think he, he could be putting up numbers like what we've been seeing with Miko Ranton. And so if this third overall pick, the Swedish guy, can put up numbers like Pedersen or Rantanen, he might go second overall over Adam Fantilli. Yeah, I just pulled him up just to make sure that I do remember that game where he did show. I think the Czech Republic, though, like them beating them might take a little bit of hype around like some of the Swedish players, but like credit to Czech Republic, they made it interesting where that overtime, it was one giveaway that cost them, but Czech Republic, I think, had Canada worried that this isn't going to end well. This is shades of uh, that 2010 World Junior Final where that comeback came. I I was having flashbacks of that, and I thought Czech Republic was going to get it done, but credit to Gunther. uh, And Adam Fentili, as he brought it up, searched up, because I remember hearing on the broadcast there, Nobleton guy, so it's closer to us. Nice uh, Kleinberg, Nobleton, Woodbridge area kid, so... Adam Fantilli, going to make us all proud. <laughs> yeah. Second overall, third overall, he'll make it there. But uh, I agree with you. I think like we'll see a lot of Europeans, I think, in the top 10 this coming draft. I think specifically, Alino, I need to shout out to Czech Republic because this was a team where the first game, they killed us. They like they beat us handily 5-2. to two. It wasn't like a close game. They came out and they absolutely killed us. Five to two, no doubt about it. We didn't have a chance. And then all of a sudden, we woke up and we kicked everybody else's ass. We even beat Sweden, I think, five to two. But Alino, those last two games, if it wasn't for Milic, I, I don't even know if we would be on the podium. Like we got killed against the States. We did we had no business beating the States six two. It should have been like a four three, four two loss. Those two goals disallowed. Things went our way, but you know, I'll ask you this, Al, you know, because we watched both those games with Czech and with the States. The story obviously was around the, the, the Czech Republic. Do you think the Czech Republic, Al, you know, in the next like year or two, the way they're developing players, can they be consistently better than a Finland or Sweden? I think it's possible just because like we've seen in the past too, like with Finland, that team that they had 20, probably 13 to 17 where they were like developing superstars year after year. I think Czech Republic might be in a similar situation now where they're in a stage here where they're having a boom there and everything's coming together. And maybe the next three to five years, we see them win maybe a gold uh, shortly, like kind of like what Finland did. And even a team that jumps up there like Russia, maybe they're having a little bit of a downward trend in the next couple of years of developing players because they're not going to be in these showcase tournaments. So I think Czech Republic is going to be a team everyone's looking at. And some of those players are going to get a lot of buzz around them. Uh, like similar to, I think Finland had Aho, uh, Line, Kapanen, and uh, on, Rant- I, I think, think Rantanen was their captain yeah, that year. Rantanen was there. <laughs> Pujarvi, I think was also there. So there was a stretch there where their team was unreal. I think Czech Republic in the next three years, they might have that with their group. Yeah, I, I you know what? The, um, Mike Johnson said he, th- he thought that this was one of the more competitive world junior tournaments 
where he thought there could have been maybe four or five teams that could have won it all. Now you had Finland, who was up one nothing against Sweden, and all of a sudden Sweden comes back and, and eliminates them. You saw the States at times were really, really deadly. Sweden looked really good too. Czech Republic, there, dude, there were a lot of te- Even Slovakia almost upset Canada. So they, like, there were a lot of moments in this tournament where things could have gone topsy-turvy really quickly, where back in the day, maybe the last five to eight years in this tournament, it's really been boiled down to four teams, and that's Canada, Sweden, the States, and Russia. So without Russia in this tournament, obviously that like that's a big deal because Russia is always a top four finish. But I don't know, man. Czech looks really, really good, and I I still love the way Finland has been looking too. So with Russia back in the next one, where do you think they could finish, Alino? I think it's going to be – like I wouldn't be surprised if they finish in like four or five just because some of their young players haven't been tested against – like us canada so they're in a development stage where they're just developing amongst themselves and just they're not competing against the best on best so if they're playing against the best american players the best canadians uh best czech republic and sweden players it just brings up their competitiveness so i think they're gonna take a hit they're gonna obviously have like two players three players that everyone's gonna look at but in terms of results if they're not playing in the khl getting meaningful minutes in the KHL, I think their development is going to probably take a hit in the next two to three years. I agree. Yeah, I, I think so too. If, if you're you're away from these type of tournaments for a couple of years, that's going to definitely affect, you know, the outlook of what you think this tournament is and just the, the overall results. We've seen it time and time again. A team is gone for a bit and there's rust. So I, I guess I'm curious to see how much rust Russia's going to have after being off these last couple of years. But make no mistake about it, it's always been Canada's tournament. They continue to win back-to-back now. Connor Bedard, Alino, I will say this on this pod right now, I think he's the greatest world junior player to ever play. Just I agree. Unbelievable. Do you think uh, one narrative I think they have to stop, though, let's not anoint teams the best team of uh (laughs) that they've ever had before the first game because as we saw here uh they were really pumping that narrative out there and they got smoked on the first game so i think uh, they need to cool that off a little bit let them perform and then when the tournament's over they can compare because as we saw in this tournament with this canadian team you take bedard off there they're going home in the quarterfinals so (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) For them to say that they were the best one, like you're comparing to like 2003, like 2009 and like eight. So I think they need to relax there going forward. Yeah. If there's no Connor Bedard, they're out and they're out. They lose to Slovakia in that game for sure. Like that's just how it goes. So that to me, that's the biggest disappointing thing of this whole tournament is, yeah, we won, but it's all on Connor Bedard. The, all the attention is on him. Yeah, Dylan Gunther got the game winner and, you know, Milic had that incredible uh, performance against the States. But other than that, Alino, was there any other forward that you really say, oh, this guy had a really good turn? Like, no, nobody. Maybe Otterman, he was a guy that had a good tournament. Julian Waugh had a good tournament, but it was, let's be honest, it was the Connor Bedard show and we just sat down and enjoyed it till the very end. 
It's like, yeah, every time Shane Wright had the puck, I don't think any teams were worried. When Connor Bedard had the puck, you saw the reaction there. So that just speaks on what the other teams thought of Canada's forwards. So hopefully in the next couple of years, if a player gets sent back, we'll see those kind of results. Maybe not what Bedard just did, but maybe like a McTavish, what he did. I think that's what you want to see if an NHL player is coming down and motivated to show it in this tournament. But uh, sticking on this topic of hockey, tonight is uh, a big night in the NHL. A lot of games going on. Leafs and Red Wings, though, I want to circle in on because uh pull up these lines here. It's looking very appealing for somebody that wants to make something. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. So I looked at the anytime goals and Austin Matthews is looking appealing there. Are you like confident in that number for Matthews just to get one tonight? Yeah, I think honestly, Ali, you know, this is where you start buying high on Austin Matthews. He doesn't even have 20 goals yet. I think this is where we're going to start to see Matthews probably look. Let's be honest. I know there's the whole narrative of some NHL players. They don't look at stats on their free time and all that. I think Austin Matthews is a guy where coming off a 60-goal campaign, and you see guys like, you know, McDavid is already at 34 goals. Tristan Thompson's – or sorry, uh, Tristan Thompson. Tage Thompson's at 30 goals. There's a lot of guys that have more goals than Matthews. I think Matthews is going to start – becoming a lot more aggressive with his shots, trying to take advantage against these lower-seeded teams. And make no mistake about it, Alino, I went to see him get his 60th against Detroit. I think getting a goal tonight at minus 106, I love that. And I I, I just – you have to fade Detroit right now. They, their goaltending has been bad. Their defense has been bad. I don't know what happened to Mo Sider. I know there's a sophomore slump out there, but, man, he just does not look in it at all mentally like he just doesn't look there so I know it's Stevie Y he's gonna obviously pull the best out of his players but I, I do like that bet tonight I mean look at the line 365 to win just put Matthews to score and call it a day yeah just Detroit I think they uh were performing a little too well and I wouldn't be surprised if Eiserman had a chat with a coaching staff and said do you like working here you're going against the plan here we're trying to tank another year fix it like we want Connor Bedard and uh, I think we're now we're seeing Detroit get back on track where Iserman wanted them to play to begin with bring in some young players but lose at the end of the day tank get us that first pick and then when we get Bedard then you could start winning games but uh, I think they were like them in New Jersey were playing a little too well for uh, their GM's liking to start the year and uh, now I think Detroit is probably where a lot of people had them going into the year, a little bit improved. Uh, goaltending is going to be what it is. Like when they brought Huso in, I thought might help, but he's just a filler, I think, right now for a year. But look at Matthews. Like, do you think he can have 30 and 40 goals? Like, do you think it's going to all come in a bunch like last year when he was on a slump, or do you think he's going to struggle to get to 30? Oh, by the end of the year, he has to get 30, or that's embarrassing. Uh, he'll get 30 goals for sure. I think he'll even get 40 goals for sure. The thing that we're seeing Alino right now with him is he's becoming a lot more of a playmaker. He's trying to really facilitate, help guys like Bunting, help guys like uh, Willie score more. Willie now has 25 goals as well. So if I'm a guy like Matthews, 
seeing Willie have 25 goals and him like 19, I think that is going to motivate Matthews to score a little more. And I think Tavares is also only a goal or two behind um, Matthews for goals. So we do, I do like Matthews even to get an assist tonight. I think that's at minus 120. And even if you like both of those, just take it over plus one and a half points because I think this is going to be a shootout tonight. I think it's going to be like 6-3 final for Toronto. Um, but uh, he's not getting 50 goals. I'll tell you that confidently right now. Just the way he's playing, I don't think Sheldon – I think Sheldon Keith at some point, Alino, has changed the dynamic of the offense here. Marner's not on his line anymore. You have William Bunting with Matthews, and then you have Marner, Tavares, Kerfoot. That's been the line mixing in with Yarn Croak at times, but I like I'm not mad that Matthews isn't getting 50 as long as he gets 65 to 70 assists and gets about 100 points, which obviously he should if he's getting 70 assists. But I do think 40 and 40 is a for sure certain for Matthews this year. Um, I just want to see him score a lot more as guys that have no business scoring more goals than him right now have. So, like. Oh, you know, like take this in. Jeff Skinner has more goals than Matthews. Like, th- like that's just to me that's unacceptable. So I think at some point Matthews is going to realize that, like, oh shit, I'm like 18th in scoring. Like I got to start scoring goals. So he's going to become more selfish and start tacking on the goals. So I'll, I'll I like Matthews tonight to get a goal, maybe even two goals. So target Matthews tonight in that game. Yeah, my uh, 70 goal prediction for the year took uh, doesn't look too good right now, but. <laughs> I like it. I think 40 to like, I think he gets it again. Like last year he was struggling a bit and then he ends up getting 60 and uh, sets records there in the Leafs. But I think it's just going to come in a bunch for him. And maybe towards the end of the all-star break, we're probably going to see more of it. But another appealing one here that I was looking for was Mitch Barner for points, two points tonight. That is uh, appealing. I think just the way he's been playing. Do you think he gets it, or do you think we're going to see uh, some of the other guys on the team be the showcase? Um, it, it depends on how you want to go about it. I mean, it's at plus 120 for two points. I would honestly, Alino, I would kind of aim – I would look at it just a power play point at plus 106 over the plus 120. I just think, you know, the least power play is unbelievable, specifically at home. The big guys usually come to show out. And they're coming off an embarrassing loss to Seattle. So I think tonight, any of those guys' points, I think I like. I like Marner to get a power play point. I like Matthews to get a power play point. I like Matthews to score. I like Marner to get two points. I just like all these points. Another guy low-key that I think is going to have a big game tonight is John Tavares. I think when the lights shine the brightest, specifically in original six games, John Tavares usually shows out. And he shows people why. He's getting paid all that money at times. Yeah, he's not the fastest skater, but he does have that clutch factor, Alino. Uh, Tavares, we saw last year in the playoffs, he was the guy that put the Leafs ahead in game six. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I gotta, like, there's just too much John Tavares hate. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I like John Tavares here, power play point as well. And that to me, plus 150 for John Tavares to get a power play point, I think that's my best play for tonight other than Matthews to score. I like it. Is there uh, any other NHL games that really stick out? Because to me, uh, it's the Leafs and Detroit that I'm really confident in, and I'm really confident in the Edmonton-Colorado one. 
as a two. I I'm really confident in the Minnesota Buffalo game. I think that's going to be an absolute shootout. I think the both these teams are really they're going on all cylinders right now offensively. I think if you really want to go about it, and this to me again, it's it's kind of a lazy pick, but I have to do it. Is I would parlay Kaprizov and Thompson to score. Both of them are just on different levels right now. They're both at plus one eighteen. Well, Kaprizov's plus one eighteen, and Tom Thompson's plus one sixteen, plus three seventy one. Alino for both of them to score in this high scoring game. I I mean like these are two guys that steer the ship. Kaprizov has been a, on a he's been on a tear. Alino, whoever he has, he has Sam Steele, Eric Sinek, Zuccarello's now hurt. I don't think that really matters. They got Matt Boldy now on the top line. I really like the over in this game, and I like Tage Thompson and Kaprizov to score because we've seen it time and time again. Call us crazy, but Buffalo might be one of the most exciting teams this year to watch in terms of offensive production. So I like Tage to score. I like Kaprizov to score. And I also like Rasmus Dahlin to get an assist in this one. Yeah, and this is a appealing option here because you look at any time scores like Thompson's been on a tear and Kaprizov's been on a tear, and they're both in the plus category. So it's not like Matthews who's like struggling a little bit and it's still uh, in the negative line. But this one, I'm with you. It's a good one there, good value, and the over. Who do you like though as a winner? You think goaltending will be in uh, Minnesota's favor tonight? Uh, yeah, just based on the team trends right now, I, I have to back the Wild at minus 118. I just think they're coming off a big win against, again, it was Tampa Bay, but it was Brian Elliott. But at the same time, they dominated the neutral zone. They shut down their best players. Their defensive game, Alino, is very underrated. Guys like Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, who've been on the team for a while, they've really found a groove and a rhythm with each other, and they just shut down the other team's best players and if they can shut down any of those players on the top six forwards I think they should have success tonight and Flurry Alino has had a phenomenal month so I do like Minnesota here even though they are on the road but my play would be one of those superstars to score and the over six and a half speaking of overs we got Edmonton Colorado which I think is uh gonna be Back and forth goals. I don't think we'll see too much defense in this one. Everyone's going to be pinching up and getting in on the offense, and we're going to see a lot of two-on-ones probably early on. Do you see Colorado just uh, benefiting here on the play of uh, Campbell and Skinner, or do you think that Edmonton will have enough through with Drysaddle and McDavid to keep the total low and get the win? I, I would actually go with uh, Colorado Moneyline here. I just think, you know, you now have McKinnon back. And in these games, Alino, when you have the cream of the crop, McDavid versus McKinnon, Drysidle versus Ranton, and you have all these unreal superstars, Colorado usually tends to show out, especially when you're a team on the road in this situation, there's a lot less pressure. And I think the way Jack Campbell's been playing, if he is in net, I would back Georgiev right now over Campbell just based on consistency. And yeah, the, the other night, Colorado had a stinker of a game. They really let their goalie down. They had a lot of defensive, really bad turnovers in their own zone. I think tonight they're really going to try 
and focus in on just getting the puck out of their zone as soon as they can with guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl on the other end. My favorite play in this one, Alino, is for Rantanen to score in Colorado to win at plus 285. I think that's a lot of juice. Rantanen's been on a tear. He's at 26 goals. Their power play is rolling. And there is weaker goaltending there in uh, in Edmonton right now. So I never I never like taking a team against McDavid, but in this situation with McKinnon finally back, I'm going to do it with Colorado. I like it. It's going to be a fun one, I think, with those two teams. And I think another one here that every week, got to look at it, Vegas and uh, L.A., just because of the way they're playing. And they have some surprising results here, but I'm going to go to the goaltending matchup because – Oh, they don't even have it up. That's great. Well, uh, I think Jonathan Quick is uh, probably going to be the starter here. Like, What do you think of his season? And do you think he has maybe uh, silence of doubters there on whether he should retire right away? Yeah, I, I really love what we've seen from Jonathan Quick. He's at that age now, Alino, where he's putting up what Rene did at the end of his career. He would have a stretch of... 10 straight starts where he has a, an above 915 save. And then there would be another 10 starts where he has about a 902 save. So he's still, I think, just above a 900 save. And at his age and the amount of hockey he's played, it's great to see. I think if the Leafs were not in a situation like they're in right now with two pretty good goalies, I would have gone and called for Jonathan Quick. Uh, Jonathan Quick, to me, if the Kings are not in position to make the playoffs in February... If I was a team out there that really needs a good, solid backup, I would definitely call if I'm a Vegas team, if I'm Dallas. like Because, again, Scott Wedgwood's been good, but how much longer is he really going to be this good? You have Ottinger and Jonathan Quick in that. That would be scary with the amount of offense Dallas has been pouring on. So I, I agree with you. He has silenced a lot of doubters, me, myself included. I thought Quick might have been on his way out when uh, Cal Peterson got the starting job two years ago. And all of a sudden, Cal Peterson's on waivers. So Quick got his job back respectfully, and I, I really respect his work ethic. Him, Dowdy, and Kopitar, man, they are just the definition of hardworking players. Yeah, Kopitar, just he's still good. No matter like how bad the team is, that guy is just carrying them, and that's the leader of that group. And Dowdy's had some ups and downs like injury-wise, but... Like, I think Kopitar has been a nice story in the league. And on Vegas' side, like, I think this team could make a run. I, I Like, out of the West, I see them going to the final. Uh, this team is just top to bottom with depth. Their goaltending could obviously be better. But with what it is right now, I think it's done the job. And uh, another play here, got to look at Phil Kessel. The numbers just still look good. <laughs> it improves here. So if he gets a goal celebration time you know what alino i was looking at for the props for that for this game i like kevin fiala to get an assist at plus 140 he has he leads the team in assists he's on the top power play logan thompson's in that which again he's had a great season but that's a vulnerable goalie option there i like kevin fiala to get an assist man he's probably been one of the more underrated free agent signings as of last year I, I like that value. And again, I, I like Jack Eichel to score. He's finally coming back. This is a divisional game. I think he's really going to want to score. 
against a, a really stout defensive team. And come on, man, you always want to score against a, a guy like Drew Doughty because that guy just chirps you all game. So I think Jack Eichel is going to be motivated tonight. I will put him to score. And on the other side, I'll put uh, Fiala to get an assist. Do you think that William Carlson could be uh, a guy that turns it around here? Uh, you know who I blame? And I hate blaming people, but I got to blame Chandler Stevenson because when he came over, he immediately took over Carlson's spot. And Carlson's like, well, damn, I guess I don't have to get 40 goals anymore. So Carlson, I had him, I, dr- I just dropped him in fantasy. He was doing pretty well, but uh, he's now on the second power play. He's on the third line at times. So I don't think he's that elite um, scoring option anymore, Alino. I think they rely more on guys like Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, Riley Smith, now obviously Jack Eichel. And another guy that's intriguing me is your boy, Phil Kessel. I don't know when he's going to start rolling, but if he gets on the line with Jack Eichel, whew, that, 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 goal, uh, that goal market looks really, really profitable. Yeah, just I'm. are you surprised that they're all pluses here, like especially the way they both teams have been playing. Like Eichel is pretty high. Like what I saw here, that was a surprising number. Mark Stone is another one. Like, are you surprised that the value here is like too good to be true almost? You know what this means, Alino? This means that the books think it's gonna be like a two-one game, very low scoring, <laughs> which I can see happening, but I can't back the under in most hockey games after what we saw last year. And it's in Vegas. It's always rowdy. It's a Saturday night. They're going to want to see goals. I think they're going to see goals. Um, The Kings are coming off a really, really hard fought game against the Bruins the other night. I think they're going to be a little fatigued. I think this is where Vegas steps up. And dude, if you look at the line, it makes sense. They're at like minus 160 on the money line. So I think Vegas here, is the play if there is a double if there's a double performance with Phil to score and Vegas to win then maybe sprinkle that <laughs> well uh that's uh NHL NBA rumors uh world junior now we gotta go into wrestling real quick because oh yeah when the news came out there that Vince McMahon was retiring obviously I was a little skeptical uh <laughs> I knew we had to talk about this <laughs> And yesterday, it finally uh, became official. He's back in the office. He's not going to be in charge of creative, but he's still (laughs) running the show. What do you think this means now for WWE that Vince McMahon got bored out of his short little seventh-month retirement, and he's back running at the office? I don't know what this means. All I know is nobody's safe now. If you're going to underperform, you might get sent down to NXT. So... Like specific guys that that really stand out to me is let's say this judgment day run does not work out. I wouldn't be surprised if Dominic or Damian Priest disappear and you don't see them for a bit. Listen, I I love Vince McMahon, man. He's done so much for the company, but it gets to a point where you have to kind of trust the people that you hire. And I, I just feel like he will never trust anybody to run his company and, Triple H has done a phenomenal job, man. Like the only thing where I think he's kind of struck out has been the women's division as of late. Bianca Belair being champion obviously is great, but you bring Charlotte back, she wins the title. Like uh, to me, it was 
there was so much more, I think, to give in that spot. I think, look at, that, look at Vince, this guy, he's back. <laughs> he was at Mania, and now he's going to be back for probably another Mania. I don't know, man. What do you think about it? I just, I think this is where he has to, he has to hang him up, man. Like, like just have faith in Triple H. Triple H has done a phenomenal job. And I'm scared for Cody Rhodes, honestly, man. Like, if Vince is back and the way things went with Vince and Cody on the way out, like, what do you think is going to happen with Cody? Do you think this is how he showed up to the office back to work? (laughs) (laughs) Probably just didn't even care. Just went in the office, broke down the door. It's like, ah, oh, you thought this was your office for uh permanent time. I probably took the sign off the door that said Triple H's name and his daughter's name, ripped it off, put his name back on the door, kicked them all out, put his desk back exactly how he liked it. Like, I think this is uh, this is probably something where like they're. TV rights deal, I think, is coming up soon, and they got a ton of money the last time. I think he's going to go all in here and probably sell the company. Oh, and uh, I don't think they'll be gone completely. It's probably going to be something where, like, they sell 90% of it and they own 10%. They still run it, but they're not, like, the majority owner. So I think that's why he wants to have hands-on on that. And if it's going to be selling, he's going to have the final call, not somebody else. So I think this is a, a money play on his part. And... uh if he's going to be used, like, I, I wouldn't want to see him in creative. Like, I know Austin no. Theory probably just laughing at everybody backstage when oh, yeah. they finally found out. It's like, yeah, you were clowning me that Vince McMahon was gone, and now look who's back. So he's back in the main event. I think he's going to be, like, it would be perfect if they have him at NXT tryouts or, like, when they bring in those stars over like Triple H does. It would help, I think, long-term if uh, Vince McMahon was in that room too because – you can get a feel of like who can be a potential star and a long-term vision for some of these athletes. But in terms of creative, like I'm with you, I think like this time is done now. Yeah, yeah. Stay away. Stay away from that. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, you talked about judgment day there and I have to bring this picture up because I was dying when I saw raw on uh, oh, no. Monday. Got a little Dominic gangster there. Being, on raw. being in jail. <laughs> He said he did hard time, and man, I, this picture. <laughs> I will say, man, he's put on some muscle, but other than that, uh, his mic work needs a lot of work. His, you know what it is, Alino? I don't think anyone takes him se- like he's not believable. Nobody takes him seriously. Whereas, it was the same with Theory back like a year ago. And now look at Theory. He's like serious. He's beating guys week after week. I think he just needs a little bit more development in terms of character. Just ask Roman. Roman, what did you do differently? Because Roman now, I don't know what happened. The guy went from not being able to hold a promo to being one of the best of all time at everything. So I don't know what happened with Roman Reigns, but Dominic could definitely take a few pointers. But Alino, does Dominic Mysterio face Ray at WrestleMania? I think they have to do it now. Like, just everything that's been leading up to it. I don't know how they can, like, how they're going to spin it, like, with the actual match now that Ray's been on SmackDown. Like, maybe they have to do something creative here, but I wouldn't want, like, Judgment Day, like, turning into a six-man tag. I think they can do a one-on-one. I think the story's strong enough now where... It's been months of uh, back and forth between the two that I think they don't need a six man like to include all these stables and everything. Like 
maybe Dominic loses a first match. Like they tease that Ray's going to retire for the next few months and he ends up like, nah, I'm still going to get the win here and then loses to Dominic at another event. Maybe they do it WrestleMania again the next year, but I think uh, one-on-one, I think they're, the storyline's been uh, going on long enough where they can handle it. Yeah, I agree, man. Like, if 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 they want to do a six-man tag at Mania with Ray, Edge, and Beth versus a Judgment Day, I think that's just going to fall flat. And it's been way too long. I remember it was at, what was it, Clash of the Castle was the last time they faced each other? Or I'm trying to, Survivor, I don't know, it was one of those pay-per-views where they uh, where Edge lost in the last man standing to Finn Balor. That was the last time we saw the interaction between the three, and we haven't heard from them since, so... Obviously, we're anticipating an edge return at the Rumble. I think he's going to be in it. I don't know if he's in a way. He's obviously not winning it, but he's got his sights set on Finn. He's probably going to eliminate him. But I don't want it to be a six-man. I agree with you. I think the build has been long enough. Going to his house on Thanksgiving and shit, you got, I think you got to do Dominic versus Ray. You think this character, they, is there more development? And he has a teardrop. <laughs> Looks like. Is there anything more that they can do here with Dominic Mysterio to uh, really get under Rey Mysterio's nerves? I think just get a string of wins together. Just continue to be that cocky young buck in the in the locker room and just keep blindsiding your dad. Just backstage, get a chair, hit him in the back, and just run away. Just be that be the Seth Rollins of 2015, Alino. Just be that coward that gets the best of you every week and then as soon as you're going to come and fight them, you have another three guys behind them. So I think they got to do that approach with Dominic as he is still green. But in the long run, Alino, I think this is going to work out for Dominic. I see bright things for him in the future. <laughs> oh, man. we got to see how this thing uh, develops going into the Royal Rumble. Uh, maybe Dominic eliminates Ray, and uh, that's what gets the program going. But it's been entertaining so far. And... Uh, I guess, is there anything else there in wrestling you want to touch on here? Oh, I just want to talk about how Sami Zayn deserves everything, but he's not going to get it. I'm calling it now. I I just think, you know, after the year that Sami Zayn has had and his whole, like, I guess, celebratory prizes to win the tag titles, I think that's a little bit of a slap in the wrist. I think he should be the guy to dethrone Roman at this point. After what we saw on Friday, I think the storytelling would be A+. plus. I think, yeah, you know, The Rock returning and, and, and facing Roman Reigns in WrestleMania, Hollywood obviously would be the ideal match. But I think just based off of creative and the hard work that they've put into this storyline, I, I want to see Sammy versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And I know we're not going to get it. We're going to probably get KO and Sammy versus the Usos, which... It's probably going to be a banger of a match, but at the end of the day, I want to see Sammy get the title because I feel like that's the only possible conclusion that would benefit everybody. So I know we're probably not going to get it, but damn, this storytelling, it's better than most movies out there. So I love it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Like Sammy's been knocking out of the park there. Uh, Everything, every interaction is like he's stealing the spotlight from Roman. I think that's what leads to that turn. As we saw on uh, SmackDown, like Roman's like, do you want to run the bloodline and gets it mad at him and brings Kevin Owens in the mix. I think eventually it's going to lead to something at elimination chamber in Montreal, where that crowd's going to be uh, 
pretty loud for Sammy. He's going to get a nice ovation, I think. Uh, but another thing, I real quick before we uh, close out here, got to give some love there in uh, New Japan. Kenny Omega had a, apparently a seven and a half star, seven star match with Will Ospreay. Uh, wins a U.S. title to go back to AEW and Sasha Banks debuts and New Japan got a nice little uh, bump there in viewers. So do you think this is good for them long-term to have uh, all these outside names come in? Or do you think they should be at a point now where maybe they're looked at differently in terms of North American audiences? It's only going to be good for a little bit. And then all of a sudden the viewers are going to tank again because they're all going to dip. And that's the problem with it. Like I love Omega winning it and having that match with Will Ospreay and, Alino, you didn't have to – I didn't even have to watch it to tell you it was going to be a five-star banger. Those two guys are, to me, the best wrestlers in the world, like, night in, night out. And the match quality, I saw the highlights. Holy shit, it was phenomenal. Even, you know, seeing uh, Kyrie Sane and, and, and uh, you know, Sasha Banks in a one-on-one, that was hilarious. I loved seeing that. I thought that that was a – Kyrie Sane really never had that spotlight. She, had, she was in the – the women's tournament, you know, uh, back in what, 2017 or 18, when she was first put on the scene and all of a sudden now she's in new Japan, she's doing her thing. And then Sasha Banks comes out and ruins the party and wins the title. I, I like the viewership. I like, again, you need the marketability, but at some point, Alino Omega's going to be rolling in AEW. Sasha Banks is probably also going to go to AEW as well because of the fourth wall she's just going to walk right to it i'm calling it now alino she's just going to walk to aew we're going to see her on an episode feuding with Paige. because why the hell not they still have those options but i really like this this option for sasha Banks. she's betting on herself you know not staying with wwe it's going to be a lot more difficult to get that main i mean she does have the mainstream attention but to have it consistently is going to be a lot more difficult so I really, dude, call me crazy. I think this might have been one of the better New Japan pay-per-views that I've seen in a very long time, just talking about booking decisions and overall results. Because Kenny Omega and Sasha Banks, at the end of the day, Alino, when they're headlining a pay-per-view and you even have the possibility of Okada being with Omega and you have Will Ospreay, all these names, it's going to get you know that attraction. But at the end of the day, Alino, the key word here is how consistent is that viewership going to be there? I agree with you. And like, that's why like, well, Kenny Omega won. I was kind of surprised. Like I thought they were going to do that. So Will Ospreay can get the big win there. Cause he already lost them on dynamite that uh, six man tag. But do you think Osprey now has to get a win back? Or do you think he's over enough where he can bounce back from this kind of loss? Nah, he needs to win, man. Like they've, they, they're probably going to play the story of how he's never really been able to one-up Kenny and Kenny's been, you know, the cleaner and one of the greatest the last decade. And they're probably going to build something like that where Will Ospreay Alino is basically the next in line, in my opinion. I think he could definitely be the next Daniel Bryan. The next, I mean, he's more high-flying than Daniel Bryan, but what we've seen Will Ospreay do, I don't think I've seen anybody do it as consistently on a nightly basis as a guy like a Kenny, as a guy like a Daniel Bryan, as a guy like a Kenny, as a guy like a Seth Rollins. These guys just do it every single night to an elite level. And I think Will Ospreay Alino eventually, 
they're going to play that storyline where, where Will Ospreay is the big underdog and he's going to come out and he's going to beat the cleaner, Kenny Omega. So, yeah, I think this was a perfect decision. You make Kenny win, get the title, and then eventually at the next pay-per-view or wherever the hell it is, Will Ospreay is going to get just as much attraction and marketability as Kenny Omega when he wins back that title. I like it. It's uh, been a good one. He kicked off there. Talking about some Raptors NBA rumors, trade rumors up there going crazy. Probably going to get crazier in the next couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of World Junior talk, hockey talk, and ended up some wrestling. Uh, this has been episode 203. We'll see you guys next week.